You are listening to the Missions History Podcast, brought to you by the International Mission Board. On this episode, hosts David Brady and Scott Peterson are joined by veteran missionary and former IMB leader, Ron Wilson. Listen in as they discuss the call to mission Ron and his wife Janice shared, and the history of their involvement in missions in the Dominican Republic and throughout the Caribbean, as well as its lasting impact still today. This is Missions History Podcast. MHP is a ministry of the International Mission Board. I'm David Brady, and my co-host is Scott Peterson. Today, we're very excited to have Ron Wilson with us. So, Ron, thank you for being our guest on MHP. We're glad you're here, and uh, we look forward to hearing your story. Okay, thank you, David. It's quite a pleasure and privilege to be here today. You know, I grew up in South Carolina, much like some of your roots, David went to a rural Baptist church and was extremely blessed by that. At the age of seven, I came to understand that simply attending church was not enough. I knew that I was lost Mm. and without a Savior. Mm. And so I took that important step in my life to trust Jesus as my personal Savior. Continued in school and high school and uh, started the university, met a young lady in our community, Janice. Uh, started dating. But in university, I had established for myself, our part of the country was uh, in Lancaster, was rural textiles. Mm-hmm. And so I had worked hard, wanted to go into school, but I had some measures of success. And I was planning my life for a business career. Mm-hmm. But yet it was in my sophomore year that the Lord began to speak very clearly to my heart. Wow. And he said, you have planned out everything. you got your plan. You've not included me. So I got down on my knees and said, Lord, I don't know what you have for me, but that's what I want more than anything else. So I was dating Janice at that time at Ridgecrest at the age of 13. She was called. Dr. Cawthon was preaching. And the Lord clearly said, I want you to be a foreign missionary. And so we uh, continued to date. We're married uh, in our junior years, okay, attended the University of South Carolina, graduated, went to Southwestern Seminary. Well, we finished seminary, moved to a church in Columbia, the Eau Claire Baptist Church. And there were two missionary families out of that church. Would you know it? And who were those families? The Flaws from Brazil okay. and the Moors in Tanzania, Kenya, and Africa. Wow. Medical doctor and then Billy and Ann. And so we had a lot of commonalities, and the ladies asked Janice to start a young woman's group, which she did, and I was on staff as Minister of Education and Youth. But very clearly, we went to a commissioning service at the Carolina Coliseum, and I knew before the Lord was calling, Wow! continued to resist. Mm. Three days later, I came home and said, Janice, we have to talk. (laughs) The Lord clearly wants us to be foreign missionaries. Wow. So we made the adjustment. The Lord clearly called us. We never had, we had some challenging days, but not mm-hmm. on the same day Yeah, uh, were we wanting to uh, come back home. But we went to language study in Costa Rica, then went to the Dominican Republic. First uh, term there, we served in religious education promotion, doing leadership training in the, in the churches and doing some theological ed work. 
second. Let, okay. me, let me ask you a question. Let's go back just a second on. So your wife heard Baker James Cawthon. Did you yes. ever hear Baker James Cawthon preach? Later on. I mean, our appointment service and other things. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Describe, describe, because there's, you know, a missions history podcast. He was a enormous figure in our, our um, missions history. And so just kind of Describe that experience of hearing him preach. Well, absolutely. You could tell of his call and commitment and his passion for the gospel and for the gospel to go places that had not been received. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm very fortunate, served under until our retirement, served under five presidents of the International Mission Board, Dr. Cawthon being the first. And he left very clearly an imprint on our lives through his, through his passion and through his preaching as God used it. Yeah. So how blessed we yeah, are. We we are blessed. And at Southwestern, who was the missions professor when you were there? Well, you had Dr. Uh, hmm. Was Cal Guy there? Cal Guy was there. Justice Anderson was there in those days. And, you know, we had a lot of, a lot of times, you know, we had chapel every week and uh, a lot of very key people in terms of promoting missions. Mm-hmm. And so that was quite the blessing for us. Did we send a lot of our missionaries to Costa Rica for language school? Is that yes? Kind of in the those pro- days, that was the the area that we uh, sent uh, our missionaries to study in Costa Rica. It was a wonderful experience, challenging always to learn another language. But the Costa Rican people are very special. Mm-hmm. They're very accommodating, very warm. Mm. We were blessed in church. We were blessed, and we rode the buses everywhere we went. So that was quite an experience. But really blessed in Costa Rica. So, Ron, what year did you go to Costa Rica? What year was your appointment? We went to, we were appointed in July of 70, in June of 76 at okay. Ridgecrest. Okay. And did orientation in the fall, Callaway Gardens in those okay. days. Yeah. Then we went to Costa Rica in 77. Then uh, in December, went to the Dominican Republic. Okay. First term served there, right. doing the religious ed training. Second term. A mentor for me, uh, Bill Graves, came and asked if I would consider a, an additional role. Okay. And so that was working for the Caribbean Baptist Fellowship and doing training and promotion of literature throughout the Caribbean. So that's why we were on our stateside then. Okay. And uh, we prayed about it clearly. We've always prayed together. Right. The Lord had to give us certainty of the call for both husband and wife, which he did. Mm-hmm. And so we knew it would be more travel and all of that. But, oh, my, what a great privilege to serve Caribbean Baptists all across the Caribbean Mm -hmm. doing training and uh, administration, Sunday school, very basic things, but what a blessing. How I loved Caribbean people. But, you know, key in that is a mentor. Mm -hmm. I had Bill Graves Mm -hmm. as our associate director. But the Lord introduced me through to a Jamaican, Azariah McKenzie. He was the executive for the uh, Caribbean Baptist Fellowship. I traveled a lot with Brother Mac. Brother Mac would show me the ins and outs of Caribbean people, mm-hmm. Jamaican people, Bahamian people, Belizean mm-hmm. people, all throughout Dutch-speaking Caribbean folks, you know, French-speaking. And so Brother Mac turned me how to, and he taught me how to understand, how to relate. Right. He mentored me and those relationships, much like Bill Graves yeah. had done. So what a blessing in my life. What is it? I mean, you've seen it from one end to the other, probably more than most 
people who live in one specific place ever dream about seeing all of the Caribbean. Caribbean is marked by incredible diversity. That's but right. is there anything that you would say, here are some markers that are kind of across the Caribbean of peoples that, that make them Caribbean peoples? You know, their history and culture is diverse. The different language groups, the ethno-linguistic groups that are there make each one very special. And mm-hmm. each one, there's something unique that you learn. But I've always found Caribbean people to be open. Yeah, I agree. Strike up a conversation. They, if you're asking where do I need to go, many times they will go with you to make sure you get to the right place, to be right. warm and accommodating, come into our house. Right. I found them to be very relational. Mm, very relational. And how blessed we've been through those relationships, through multiple groups and training activities. I found them to be open to learn, right. wanting to learn, right. wanting to live following the Lord's direction in his word and wanting to know how to teach others best. And so when you put that environment, just openness, uh, unique conversations, very special. And we've seen churches grow, tremendous growth. We've seen conventions multiply. And uh, what a great blessing. We've seen your dad Mm -hmm. plant so many churches. Mm -hmm. I've seen your dad. Sorry for the emotion. Mm -hmm. Mentor more pastors mm-hmm. on a swing yeah. in his front porch, mm-hmm. having a conversation that was meaningful. Yeah. And when young men would say, I'm not getting a preach enough, he'd say, well, we have to do something about it. The Lord <laughs> intends that we start another church someplace. Wow. You know, one thing you mentioned, Ron, that's true in Belize, when if you're going somewhere and it takes 15, say you're walking, and it takes 15 minutes to get there, you know you need to leave an hour because you're going to have conversations along the way. And you don't just smile at somebody and keep going. you got to stop and talk. And that is something. The Caribbean, I think, the bits that I've seen of it, everybody is very relational. Very relational. And um, they're, they're, um, there's a lot of enthusiasm and passion that they express about things. And um, it's, it's something I really enjoy. You it's not a closed, they're not closed people with their emotions and their feelings. And so you moved into that role of working uh, across the Caribbean. Um, and we want to talk about the history of CBF, but what, tell us about your history first. Tell okay. us what happened after that. After that, we did that for, for uh, five years, and that was quite the blessing. Then the next term of service, Dr. Bill Graves retired, and so Don Camerdiner ask us to prayerfully consider becoming associates to the area director for Northwest Caribbean. Northwest Caribbean. Okay. And so... Uh, and what, what, give us a little idea about what that would include. Okay, that started with Belize and Middle America. The islands there, uh, Cayman Islands. We had the Bahamas. We had Belize, Dominican Republic, where we had worked, Haiti, and then in 1988, there was a transfer of responsibility for the island of Cuba from the North American Mission Board to IMB. Wow. And that yeah. was one of my greatest blessings. So many, but just the privilege of working with Cuban Baptists. So let's go back. And so we're kind of got you now in this, in this administrative role, leadership right. over the Northwest Caribbean. Have you know, Southern Baptist began 1845. Immediately, we're a missions. In fact, that's why we're getting together is to do missions. 
were we in the Caribbean all along, or is the Caribbean something that we came to a little later? We came to a little later. It was actually in the 60s when the work began to open up. A little bit earlier than that, some work in the Bahamas. But in the early 60s, we began to expand the work there and a lot of different places. You know, when you start looking at at the development and then... In the 70s, it was pretty broad scale. Mm -hmm. At one point, we had, I think, about 125 missionaries serving in the Caribbean. Mm. And again, the primary focus there was very basic. Go in and share your faith. There were some churches in some of those places. But share your faith. As people come to know the Lord, disciple them. Mm -hmm. Then as you're discipling next, you need to, to leadership training. And then you talk about multiplication and church growth. Mm -hmm. And so, again, those were some very basic things that we were doing in the Caribbean, and we saw that growth come. And there were great waves of uh, growth in terms of that, but very basic things. Then as the church got mature, we would transition out, and we would have a mentoring from a distance role. Mm -hmm. Local leaders came into place. You know, everything from the Barbados Baptist College we are talking about a little bit earlier Mm -hmm. started that decentralized theological education that would take place all among the islands where there was no other uh, avenue for theological training. Weldon Bertel and the guides was very instrumental and very basic. And so then as associate, that was part of what we were encouraging. And we saw Mm -hmm. a lot of pastors trained in that local level, equipping them for Mm -hmm. service in local churches. We did that for about five years. The next five years, we became area director for Brazil in the Caribbean. Hmm. Again, one of the groupings of the International Mission Board, another unique setting. So we had the Caribbean islands. We had Belize. We had Guyana, French Guyana, Suriname, Hmm. and Brazil. Right. I remember that. And so that was in 1991, and we Hmm. did that uh, through 97. Then another change continued as a regional leader then, for the Caribbean Basin. So we dropped off Brazil, but we picked up Colombia and Venezuela (laughs) again with the mix. (laughs) So that's part of the variety. We did that until the end of 2001, Hmm. then uh, came to Richmond Mm -hmm. as associate to Avery Willis. A lot of stories there (laughs) for leadership training and guiding our leadership training programs at the board. And so we did that until December of uh, 2015. Tell us a little bit about the Caribbean Baptist Fellowship and and its origins. Okay. The Caribbean Baptist Fellowship came into being in 1970. Uh, Dr. Charles Bryan, as area director, looked across. Bill Graves was instrumental in that in terms of seeing the need to group Caribbean peoples. And many missionaries were you know, very much akin to that, as well as local Baptist leaders. And so in 1970, they agreed to come together and to form a group across the Caribbean to Mm -hmm. work together Mm -hmm. on the islands in the Baptist work and the connectedness. They also became a part of the Baptist World Alliance Mm -hmm. in 1970. But that the Caribbean Baptist Fellowship was organized with an executive committee. A lot of the folks that you would see, a lot of our missionaries were instrumental in the formation of the Caribbean Baptist Fellowship. And again, they their purpose was to serve the churches. So it was organized in such a way um, 
an assembly every two years. I think sometimes now it's every three years. Mm-hmm. The, the Caribbean Baptist Fellowship still exists, okay. still works together. You have, you know, they're organized around training. You had uh, um, Sunday school and teacher training and leadership training aspect to it. Mm-hmm. You had a committee that worked with theological education, how to help that grow across the uh, across the mixture. Now, you know, one of the key things that that was a part of this was Haiti, and I've not mm-hmm. touched on Haiti. Right. Again, with French, with Creole, right. with the dynamics there, large Baptist work on the part of Hispaniola, the one-third there, Haiti, same islands, Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. But again, all of that, so you see the theological education, the leadership training. Mm-hmm. Then you would also see women's work. Mm-hmm. There was a focus on youth work. And all of these working together with a cooperative spirit, wow. mature Baptist works, encouraging mm-hmm. some of the new starting work mm-hmm. and helping to do that. And sometimes Baptists would take a trip to another place to help train and equip. Mm-hmm. I remember travel, traveling. We had a group that would travel from island to island and hold regional training conferences. Uh, you know, how do you train teachers? How do you mm-hmm. organize Sunday schools? How do you do theological education? Mm-hmm. We also had the Barbados Baptist College at that point in time, which served as a gathering and training center for us. So tell us about that. So Barbados Baptist, Baptist College. College. And we had some from Belize that went there. That's right. And there's still some of our strongest leaders That's uh, right. in Belize things. So tell us about the beginnings of that and some of the people who worked. I don't remember exactly the year of the starting there, the Barbados Baptist Baptist College, but you know, it was on the island of Barbados. It was an old sugar plantation, Mm -hmm. an old farm. So it was rich in terms of that. But you know, we had theological training, DTE, that would take place on the islands. Well, that would be part time, as you've said. Mm -hmm. But many found uh, that it was very key to have some uh, long term training. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so many would come for a year Mm -hmm. of concentrated uh, study. They would live there at the college, take their meals there, and give themselves fully to the training that would take place. And it would be more concentrated, more Mm -hmm. in-depth assignments, again, Mm -hmm. working on the same basis, cooperating with others across the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. But that would be the last year of their study, and Mm -hmm. then they would graduate. And, you know, over the years, Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of people, uh, Brother Bill Womack uh, was instrumental in helping to start. The Millers were there. Mm -hmm. So many others that Mm -hmm. come to my mind in terms of working at the college and investing themselves in the students. Mm -hmm. It was a part of the Caribbean. It was a Windward Islands grouping. But again, it grew much beyond that as we looked in practical theological education. So again, theological education in-depth study, mm-hmm. but also practical. How do you prepare a sermon? Right. Mm-hmm. How do you engage with the family? How mm-hmm. do you minister at times of a funeral? Mm-hmm. What about times when someone's being baptized? How mm-hmm. do you do that? What if a couple is having difficulty in their mm-hmm. marriage relationship? Practical training mm-hmm. to equip pastors to serve. You know, at the college, um, also there was a, a dental clinic there, right? That's right. Because okay? we were involved in in doing some human needs type of work as an outreach to to the locals as well. Well, we had at uh, at times again when there was not adequate dental ministry. You know, in the Caribbean, we have. I remember one time we had five dentists. 
serving mm. in the Windward Islands. Mm-hmm. Tell Dr. us about Carter. Windward and Leeward. Okay, Windward listeners. Islands, the group, the Windward Islands, and that would be uh, Barbados. You know, that would be Grenada, a group of five islands. Mm-hmm. Leewards would be Antigua, mm. Antigua, and that grouping. You know, Tortola is mm-hmm. in that. Again, different island mm-hmm. groupings, more connected in terms of that by culture and history. Mm-hmm. But again, quite, we had a lot of students. How did you get Leeward. from island to island? Well, sometimes, David, you could see an island, but it would almost take you a day to get there. <laughs> For me, by airplane. I've, yeah. I have so many plane experiences, small oh, planes. Bet. Not backstroke then. No, not backstroke. <laughs> I have traveled by boat, but again, most effective way was by a plane. By plane. There was this um, airlines, Liot. Right. And we always joked that it stood for leave island anytime. anytime. That's <laughs> right. And so you didn't know quite what your schedule would be. Yeah. Big planes, small planes. But again, that was part of the experience in yeah. traveling. You know, the best way to travel the Caribbean in those days. Yeah, there was BWIA. We always said that, but will it arrive? That's right. (laughs) Always those local acronyms there for the airlines. Now, now there was also at one point an itinerant mission there. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Well, part of the itinerant would be places where we could not have uh, residential work. And so a part of that was Cuba, Mm -hmm. where we couldn't actually live. But again, going and working. And we had quite a few in those days that would travel from island to island and minister in different groups, even though they didn't reside there full time. But they would go in and either do theological training or go in and do some level of training, some level of consultation. We did quite a bit humanitarian work, everything's the hearthcocks from agricultural farms. Where did they do that? The Antigua. That was Antigua. Antigua. Yeah, mm-hmm. And so again, when you think about that, we did a lot. We did water wells right. in Haiti, mm-hmm. Jack Carr, uh, Jack uh, and Doris Hancock, and then Mark and Peggy Rutledge, who served there a lot. We did farms. We had demonstration schools, mm-hmm. you know, what are the best crops to grow? How do you plant those crops and grow? Again, we had one in Belize. Too. We had one in Belize. The practical That's agricultural practical ag- mm-hmm. So that was all part of the picture in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. How do you do those things at the same time, sharing the gospel, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. helping to plant churches, help to disciple people, sharing your faith with them? Mm-hmm. That was a part of the practical training. Well, going back to your, your first assignment in the DR, um, I know that the Dominican Republic, on their flag, they have actually a Bible mm-hmm. and their their coat of arms and That's their right. seal. But uh, so, talk a little bit about the interaction there with a, a people and a country that had a, a history of Christianity of some form, and it, and how that affected their response to the gospel that our Baptist missionaries would be sharing. Okay. Well, as Baptists were open there and came and uh, we were began to work, there were a few churches. And we see in the early 60s, again, the Howard Shoemakers came in and they mm-hmm. did a lot of work through the, uh, through the church there, starting churches and several others came. They also did through medical pl- clinics and medical ministry, a lot of different approaches to ministry. But you see in a country like the Dominican R- Republic, a strong tradition— of Catholic. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, so for many of the people, they would go to church at those key times of the calendar mm-hmm. to join with family. Mm-hmm. But yet, 
uh, on belief in Christ was not, it was more traditional right. in that setting. Mm-hmm. And so we engaged the country and went in to start Baptist churches. Mm-hmm. And our sole purpose in doing that was help to share the gospel with people right, right, right. that they could know about that. Now that makes for difficult days. You know, because people feel like, well, we already have that. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's not, it's more of a traditional value mm-hmm. and it's not a living relationship with mm-hmm. the living Lord. Right. So again, you would engage people in conversation, but they would say, no, we already have that. Mm-hmm. But you just continue. And we remember in our early years, Dennis, and I've talked about it often, you know, we'd be doing our annual statistical report, Scott, mm-hmm. that you're so aware of. And we would see the number of baptisms and the number of believers and the number of churches, and it'd be eight. Then it would be nine. Then maybe 10. Then back to eight. Mm-hmm. Right. Some of those churches would not continue and not continue on. And so that was a burden. Yeah. But, you know, what a joy to go back today. Over 100 Baptist churches and new works connected with the Dominican wow. Baptist Convention. Wow. We just rejoice. We made a trip back there a few years ago with some other missionaries, and the people were so open to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Wow. I thought, oh, Lord, what a great yeah. day yeah. for this country. That That is a wonderful, a wonderful thing. And, you know, you were talking about uh, uh, Scott mentioned it and you responded about the fact there were places like the Bahamas, Jamaica, even Belize that yes, had Baptist they work. They had Baptist work. And, you know, one of the things that I appreciated what you said about having serious conversations, when my mom and dad went to Belize, British Baptists had been there since 1822. That's right. And they went in 1977. So, I mean, British Baptists, well-established. Conservative Baptist, uh, another denomination from the United States, had been there for about a, a decade before my parents arrived, maybe m- longer. And but I, my parents realized that they needed a, if possible, if theologically everybody was on the same page, they needed a unified Baptist witness. That's right. And so they worked with those groups, didn't come in and and compete or say you know Southern Baptist or better but worked with them. And today, beautifully, those three groups are unified under one banner, the Belizean Baptist um, Convention Association of, of Churches in Belize. And um, I think those are some unique challenges that if you went to other places where there was no Christian witness, you wouldn't have faced. And you look at the churches in Bahamas, the Bahamian Baptist Convention, large groups of churches that are located there and have a long, strong tradition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that we helped to facilitate there, even early on, was theological education. Right. Working with local um, uh, training, local pastors, and helping to train Mm -hmm. theologically. And again, that's something that the convention wanted. You know, one of the areas of ministry that I've not talked much about is the media. And our first Caribbean Baptist Media Center was located in the Bahamas. And Mickey Searcy helped to do that work and produced a lot of materials across the Caribbean with a Caribbean flavor and a Caribbean richness. Mm -hmm. And again, featuring churches and training materials and a lot of other products that were extremely useful to the churches. And so that started in the Bahamas, then later on moved to South Florida as part of the ministry of the Caribbean Baptist Fellowship. Ron, I'd love for you just to kind of walk us through. Tell us about, um, let's let's just take Cuba for a second. Tell us about some of the things, um, about some of the ministry that has taken place on that island. Well, the ministry has been non-residential. 
uh, because of the Baptist work. And you will see we've related to two and three different conventions there. The Eastern Baptist Convention, the Western Baptist Convention, there are some other Baptists that we have partnered with. And again, we've done everything from specialized training, Mm -hmm. uh, assisting. They already had a seminary. We have uh, assisted with some theological education text, you know, things like that. We've had guest professors to to, uh, gather and come in and do some training. Mm -hmm. Again, they had a, a cadre. Cuba went through some very difficult days, oh, yes. mm-hmm. but the church, a lot of our Baptist leaders were imprisoned. Mm-hmm. And so again, a part of that and to go and visit. Sorry. It's okay. Yeah. One of my close friends there in a very difficult day mm. for the work. Mm. And we were talking about change and you did that carefully. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, brother Wilson, He said, we've endured quite a bit here, but how I pray that it lasts a little bit longer Mm, mm. because there's so many people Mm. coming to the gospel Mm. that we're willing to stay Mm. and we're willing to pay the price Mm -hmm. and order that people will come to Christ. Now, we don't publish a lot of those numbers, but we've seen those conventions go I would just say from the hundreds to the thousands of churches. I, I think that some people don't realize is there has been an extraordinary move of God's Spirit in and across the island of Cuba Absolutely. In, since 89. And That's right. it has been, um, I was there in 2000 on a religious visa, and um, we were in this one part of, of Havana that there were a lot of Soviet style apartment buildings. That's right. And we went up onto a high floor. We were in a house church that mm-hmm. was meant in this little apartment. That's right. And after the service, we went out on the balcony and we looked down row after row of these apartment buildings that went way up in the air. And as we would look down, I saw on balcony after balcony, large groups of people standing. And I'm like, what? why is everybody getting together today? And they said, those are all house churches. And wow. at that moment, I realized that underneath that, underneath the radar, God was doing a great work in Cuba that, like you said, we can't, we can't put all the statistics, we can't do all of that, but we know that it's happening and that God is at work. One, well, again, close friend, same one I mentioned a while ago, will not identify his name, but we were standing there talking, and at a very difficult time of testing with some officials, and again, I'll leave it at that. They said, you know, we're going to close these works. And he said, you do what you have to do. The Lord has instructed us to open your works. Mm. And that's what we'll do. Mm. And we understand you have another requirement. Mm. Mm. But our job is to open them on every block. Wow. So that that people can come. And they would look and map a city. And I've gone into pastor's houses. I've seen this city here. And they'd say, Brother Wilson, now here's where we are. And there would be little circles or a pen of a certain color. And they'd say, now, here's our next wave, a different different color. Mm -hmm. And then here's where we're going after that. So a local pastor would have a very clear 
strategy yeah. of planting churches, most mm-hmm. of those house churches, mm-hmm. so that every person in his city could mm-hmm. walk mm-hmm. to a local church yeah. and would hear about the gospel. Yeah. And there has been a magnificent multiplication. Mm-hmm. One day I was standing on the street, and it was almost Christmas time, and I thought, oh my, from the days of hearing about this offshore island that would one day sing send missiles and young guys, we would be trained. Here's mm-hmm. what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, in school, they would talk right, about right, that right. to walking the streets and hearing the gospel mm-hmm. proclaimed mm-hmm. and churches singing Christmas carols. Yeah. Yeah. What a unique blessing. What a unique blessing. You know, I, I preached at a church yes. in, in Cuba and at the end, I gave a gospel invitation and I was amazed. There were just tons of people that stood up and I thought, man, this must have been, this is a fabulous sermon. And the pastor came alongside me and he began to say, now I see all of you standing in response to this gospel invitation. He said, do you understand that our church has been stoned by rocks, that people from our church have been thrown in prison, that if you make this step, that you are going to lose a lot as far as out in the culture, that it will cost you. He said, I do not want you standing unless you fully understand what you probably will lose if you follow Christ. And one by one, those people began to sit down. And when he was finished with this reverse invitation, (laughs) there were only two people that were willing to stand. He said, you know, we have to make that clear to people that to follow Christ, it's going to mean it's going to cost them. And we don't want them to come in and think that we're promising them a better life or an easier life. We want them to know they will have eternal life, but this life, there will be a lot of persecution. And I thought, wow, how many pastors in the United States would ever do that? That's the prosperity gospel in reverse. That's right. What a wake-up call. But they measure and they count the cost. So, Ron, there are, oh man, there's just so many. There are hundreds of stories. But when you think about it, um, you know, give us five or six of, of missionaries that were uh, were particularly fruitful throughout the Caribbean, some names that the listeners of Missions History Podcast uh, would be interested in knowing about their work and praising God for what was done through their lives. Just so many are coming to mind. But I think about people that have been in uh, multiple places, and I think about people like Carter and Charlotte Davis. Yeah, tell us about a, them. A dentist, mm-hmm. and we'll see him in just a few short hours here. Right. A dentist and a nurse coming to a place that didn't have adequate uh, dental care, setting up that facility, but at the same time helping to plant churches. Now, there'd been one missionary couple uh, before them on Grenada. But again, there were some churches there, but they helped to plant new churches as well. They helped. Charlotte was very involved in Christian education, in the training of local people. So they were doing everything from theological education. They went there as dentists. Right. But that gave them an avenue to a lot of people. So they helped in church planting. They helped in training. They helped in discipleship. They helped in theological education. But the key you think about Charlotte and Carter is the relationship that they built with people and that relationship that helped pass the gospel to others, not only there, but across the Caribbean. Others that come to name uh, Art and Martha Haylock in Dominican Republic. They transferred from Honduras and helped early on to, to come in there and do theological training, do church planting. Uh, again, very key in terms of that and some of the 
very significant works that took place. Howard and Dorothy Dell Shoemake, who opened up the work in Dominican Republic, and their whole focus not only of church planting and training, but also uh, medical ministry. So you think about that in helping doctors and nurses have adequate supplies, Mm -hmm. again, through that window. I have to think about Otis and Martha and how many people Mm -hmm. I've seen trained and equipped on their front porch and new churches started and being in those meetings. Oh, my. Uh, Again, what a blessing for a young guy. And so, again, just so much. And, you know, these were folks, I was fairly young coming in the leadership. I was in my late 30s okay. as an associate to the area director in my early 40s as an area director. Mm-hmm. And people like Otis and Art and others, they helped to give me a patient word at times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was a good thing, ways to view things mm-hmm. and help to deepen and broaden mm-hmm. my understanding. Mm-hmm. So I've had so many people just to invest mm-hmm. in me Personally, you know, I think about folks, Bermuda, the right. island up in the middle of the Atlantic, yeah. a little hook shape. And Robert Harris, who helped to, well, the Womacks were there first. They were, was went he to a serve. pastor there? Or yeah, at he like was a pastor. Womacks went to serve. And then later on, they became part of uh, IMB and mm-hmm. helped with the work in Barbados, the college that we've talked about. But he was a local pastor. And we worked with that association, the Ridge Hills, that mm-hmm. went there again productive people in terms of relationships in church planting. Who so was the me, guy in Cayman Islands that did something with diving? And and um, do you remember who that Well, the was? Herbert Neelys were there well, for a long the time. Neelys, you remember right. them. They were in Zim, were they in Zimbabwe before? They were in, in Zimbabwe mm-hmm. and then transferred to help mm-hmm. open up the Cayman Islands. They were already, they helped to start one Baptist church. There were already other uh, Baptist churches there. A pastor did, uh, did a lot of different approaches to ministry there was Randy Von Connell okay. from Mississippi, again, working there. And so, again, just part of the richness, your mind just floods with so many people that have come yeah. and been a part of the work. So, Ron, you said around 1960 is where we begin a broader work. In the, in the right. 60s, we're working throughout the Caribbean. Before that, just a few specialized right. places like That's the Bahamas. Right. but. Um, so some about 1960, say to the early 2000s, are we still in any significant way as Southern Baptists, as the International Mission Board, working in the Caribbean? Well, at the current time, we have one or two, let's see, one, two, three couples that are working. But we had a large force. And see, part of what we measure is what is the health of the church? Mm-hmm. And are there enough churches mm-hmm. to share the gospel with their location? And that's a practical question. Right. And how do you balance that with needs around the globe that mm-hmm. have not yet heard? Yeah. There's not a gospel witness. There's not scripture in their own language. Mm-hmm. So when they have no access, mm-hmm. and here are healthy churches that are growing, that are trained, now we can still have a mentoring relationship mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. a connection. Right. And I always encourage that to say, how's the work going? And right. that's done in a lot of different ways. But you see in the, across the Caribbean, when we look, there are healthy churches in a lot mm-hmm. of places. There's some that are not so healthy, but again, they're Baptist unions. There are conventions that are working, and praise God, they are mature, Mm -hmm. and they're addressing these situations. Mm -hmm. And again, could we Mm -hmm. use somebody rovering around? Certainly. 
that could be a meaningful task for the future as we think about that. Mm -hmm. But there's strength in these churches. And we look across from the 60s to to now, and you look at the number of the churches that have been planted, Mm -hmm. and my mind goes back to missionaries that have invested their lives. Mm -hmm. And now you see healthy, strong Mm -hmm. churches. Yeah. And you know, I think that's right. I think we're moving into a new stage that is the stage of of a partnership. That's right. And I think there's so many uh, human resources in the Caribbean, people that culturally are uh, even uh, have greater opportunity to go to completely unreached places. And so that's one of, I think, our prayers is that um, we would see what was first taken to the Caribbean, now they would be taking it to the world. They uh, racially are so diverse, and and they um, would have access that oftentimes we as American citizens may not have. That's right. That's right. Ron, tell us a little bit. We want to talk a little bit about the spiritual um, lifelines that God used uh, for you and Aunt Janice to, to hold you through the years. Are there some scriptures that have been particularly used of God in a powerful way to help you guys through tough times? There certainly are. And David, you know, over the years, the practice of reading and treasuring God's Word Mm. and the practice of daily time. Now, I understand you may miss an occasional day, but the regular practice of going deep in His Word. Mm -hmm. That's been so rich to us. And just, you know, one of our practices is to read a a copy of Scripture, cover to cover, every year. Hmm. Mm-hmm. We're underlining and marking, mm-hmm. and those will be passed on to family. Mm-hmm. That's part of the key is how do you engage in God's Word and how mm-hmm. His Word blesses us. And, you know, I'm just starting Ezekiel on our particular plan. Right. And again, His Word just speaks to you, and mm-hmm. it cries out with situations in this country mm-hmm. and around mm-hmm. the globe. Mm-hmm. And so that regular practice— mm. That regular practice of mm-hmm. just going to His Word that's so rich as He guides us and nurtures us, practice of daily prayer. And, you know, now we have a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. And so openly, we pray quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm not spiritual. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying the Father's made us aware of needs. And mm-hmm. so when we're having lunch, we're praying sometimes, talking about needs that we know, about groups that are unreached, mm-hmm. about folks that are serving around the the globe about uh, people that uh, have come across. And again, when we're going down the road, the mm-hmm. Lord has impressed us that we need to pray for first mm-hmm. responders. When there's something that attracts our attention now, mm-hmm. our eyes are open, mm-hmm. but we're taking it to the Father. You see, it's not That's a limited good. relationship. It's yeah. a daily relationship. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it starts when we wake up, and it starts when we go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And so, again, how do you, and again, I'm not lifting myself up, no. but I'm simply saying these basic practices of his word mm-hmm. and of conversation with him daily. Right. That's what he wants, an ongoing relationship. And so that's become, we're so blessed. You know, that's and such a so good rich. word. I think about, the, I don't know that it's used, the term is used as much, but when I was growing up, my parents called it conversational prayer. That's right. And it would just be, we'd be in a group and and you wouldn't pray a long thing. You just, whatever came to your mind as either a praise or a petition, you would just raise it, and then you'd be quiet, and somebody else in the group would pray, and you just kind of go around, and and um, it was it was um, 
informal without being disrespectful. You know, it was it was still worshipful to God, but it allowed that sort of communication. And um, I, I I don't see that quite as as often uh, today. But I think that's that's such a vital thing. Even as you said, riding down the car and and whatever situations come before your eyes, um, Ron, just tell us this. It, during your years of working with missionaries, being a missionary, do you think that prayer actually makes a difference? Oh, absolutely. I can tell you of illustrations this week of how we've seen medical situations, doors opening. We're praying for a particular couple now that needs a, uh, a visa back into a large country around the globe. They've been serving there very effectively in their own stateside assignment. That visa's not coming through, and we're telling we're lifting it up mm, multiple mm. times a day. Amen. And you know, we find that. And here's another practice that we find has been very rich for us. A question when you meet a salesperson, it may be somebody in Walmart or it may be at the grocery store, it may be in a doctor's office. Mm-hmm. The question is, I'm a follower, I'm a Christ follower. Mm-hmm. How can I pray for you today? Mm, mm. What are some things? Tell me your name, and how can I pray for you? Mm -hmm. I cannot really explain Mm. the reactions that we've had Mm -hmm. from tears to smiles. Mm -hmm. And a few will say, well, any way that you like. And we pray very clearly. Sometimes we pray with them. Sometimes it's Mm -hmm. a busy environment. Mm -hmm. And we pray as we're walking to the car. Mm -hmm. But the Lord has shown us that that practice. Mm -hmm. And a follow-up question, if there's time, tell me about your relationship with the Lord. And I always have some material in my pocket that our church produces. And so I've got that ready. Is there something, you know, as I'm praying, if they're pushed and don't have time, I'm not going to force it in. But the simple question mm-hmm. is, can I leave you with a, a little message that you could read when you have time? Mm-hmm. See, these are practices every day mm-hmm. that the Father leads us to people we encounter. Why is it mm-hmm. that the Father is chosen mm-hmm. for that person cross our path today? Mm-hmm. That person serving us can we not mm-hmm. lift them up to the Father? And again, if it's somebody that cuts us off, we're going to pray for them. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, I, I, as I'm sitting here looking at you and hearing you talk, Ron, and, and your little name tag there says Emeritus underneath your name. But what I, what strikes me is that just because you have retired from the International Mission Board— you have not retired from ministry and serving God. And that's true of many, many of our missionaries. And I I think I want to remind our listeners to continue to pray, not only for our missionaries who are serving on the field today, but those who have come back home, who've retired or maybe medical situations have caused them to come back home, continue to pray for them because they are continuing to serve in their local churches, in their communities that, you know, a job status uh, does not end our calling, and that's evident in hearing you talk here today. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, our days are numbered, yeah, and we know that. Mm-hmm. So we want to make a fruitful. That's right for the mm-hmm. kingdom, that's right. yeah. and that meter is ticking for mm-hmm. all of us. Mm-hmm. So again, how can we be productive in the kingdom? How mm-hmm. can we slow down and understand? Mm-hmm. of the people that cross our path mm-hmm. and the opportunity for ministry mm-hmm. and engage them. Didn't take much time. Tell us about your ministry here at the at the board and some of the things that you were involved in toward um, the end of your okay. missionary or your staff time. Okay. Our staff time here, we came from the Americas in um, 2001. 
And so we picked up the role. Dr. Avery Willis invited us to be his associate vice president for leadership development. And so again, under that would fall the training. So we worked with different affinities who had training leaders Mm -hmm. to make sure that they had uh, materials that they needed. But we also were working with the leadership team here in Richmond to design an orientation to make adjustments of for that orientation to train new missionaries mm-hmm. before they left. Mm-hmm. We did help with stateside training, uh, theological training through ICEL and other approaches, mm-hmm. working with the Seminary Consortium of Southern Baptist Theological Educators, a lot of that. So again, how rich mm-hmm. and how we've been blessed through mm-hmm. the touch of these different things. And again, to know people, Don Cameron, Avery Willis, Mm -hmm. Gordon Ford, John Brady, to have these people, not only presidents, Mm -hmm. but others, these Mm -hmm. men who've invested in our lives. Mm -hmm. What a great blessing. Ron Wilson, thank you for being our guest uh, this week on Missions History Podcast. Um, Scott, I have enjoyed this as as, uh, talking about the Caribbean and having Uncle Ron here as a guest. But you know, even more than that, I think we've seen the heart of a missionary. Yeah, we have. The heart for serving God, training others, seeing people come to Christ. And to me, that's um, learning about the history of our work in the Caribbean is is fascinating, but seeing your heart, Ron, and I've known you for a few years, and I've already known about that heart, but I think it really came through today. So thank you for joining us. Amen. Again, thank you, Ron. And for Scott Peterson, I'm David Brady. Thank you for listening to this edition of Missions History Podcast. And until next time, God bless. You have been listening to Missions History Podcast, a production of the International Mission Board. Join hosts David Brady and Scott Peterson each week as they discuss significant people, places, and events from the history of international missions. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes.